what should you have on a ministerial resume? Or what if you, if you're looking for someone to hear uh, God's word preached or hear God's word proclaimed, what, what kind of job description would you make? Well, I, I, I think if we, as we've gone through the book of 2 Corinthians, I kind of put together my own kind of Corinthian minister's um, uh, job description right here, okay? This is what they're looking for. They're, they're putting out an ad. This is what they want, okay? So this is, he must look the part. You know, he can't be, can't be somebody who kind of looks ragged. You know, he's got he's to look the part of somebody who's really together, very professional. Has to be someone that people immediately respect. You know, can't have anything like recent imprisonment or anything like that. Um, he has to also be, he has to be respectable. He also, also has to be likable. You know, somebody that you could see yourself hanging out with. And must be a powerful speaker. Needs to have a charismatic personality that electrifies the audience. Must be able to hold people's attention and leave them feeling good. Must be able to appeal to uh, lots of different people, both inside and outside the church. Should never speak in such a way as to alienate or grieve people. You know, don't, don't always be dwelling on the negative. Not, nothing that might seem harsh. Uh, he should be especially attractive and appealing to unbelievers so that they want to come back to church again. And so, I, I think that's a fairly good Corinthian job description of what they want their ministers to be like, of what they want people who come in and, and preach to them, that's what they want them to be like. They want them to look the part. They want them to be charismatic. They want them to be appealing. They want them to be attractive. They want their, their speaking style to, to kind of major on the, the positives, to kind of really, really lighten, up, lighten things up a little bit and never speak to them, say, the way that Paul has been speaking to them. So he, he speaks to them very kind of straightforwardly and frankly and, and kind of uh, the way he talks about it in chapter 7, he, he has grieved them. They would never want to talk that way. They want, they want somebody who, who is... Who is, who is more jovial, more, more lighthearted, more, uh, more, uh, more attractive than that. I think you could take this job description and, and hand it to a lot of uh, uh, pastor search committees or put it on some church job boards or, or try and find some people who have just this kind of, just this kind of, of way of speaking, this, just this manner of, of ministry. A lot of churches would be happy. In fact, they, they think that the, the way that they're really going to reach the lost and, and build the church is to have somebody just like this. And, hey, you know, you can find somebody who will fit these characteristics if there's money to be made and fame to be had. You can find somebody. Paul does not have these things. When, when Paul comes in, the people in the community are not like, oh, that. That guy looks really professional and really has it together. No, he's somebody who just came out of prison, who has uh, been uh, going without food and working night and day. And he comes in and, and the, the whole idea is that, that he's not really even that impressive in person. Like, like you get invited to hear the guest speaker, Paul, who came into church or synagogue that day. And people come in, they're like, wasn't that great, you know, it wasn't, wasn't quite what I thought it would be. So, what, why, why should you listen to Paul? Well, that's what 2 Corinthians 6 is, is, is about. And I'll just summarize it here at the beginning. You should listen to Paul because Paul is faithful, because Paul is virtuous, 
because Paul is truthful, because Paul is loving. That's why you listen to Paul. That's why you listen to what the apostle says. That's why you listen to those who preach the Bible that way. Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians. We're going to actually start in 2 Corinthians 5 to kind of get a running start. And the whole idea is that there are going to be three reasons why you should listen to Paul. Why you should listen to Paul. Don't listen to false apostles. Listen to Paul. And the first one is because now is the time. You should listen to Paul because of the time that we are living in. So let's read, let's start in 2 Corinthians 5. Let's start in verse 20. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. This is what it says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Starting in verse 20, Paul starts to talk about his, his and even before then, he starts to talk about his spe- the special the special assignment that God has designated him for. That is the assignment of apostle. He is going to be one who is especially set apart to go and take the gospel that Jesus Christ gave to him, that, in, that he entrusted to him. Take that to the peoples. Take that to people who have never heard. Take that to people like the Corinthians. People who had never heard of this one true God. Take it to those people. Take, take it out. We, not only did, did Jesus Christ die on the cross, but Jesus Christ implemented a plan by which that gospel would be spread to all nations. Be spread to people like the people in Corinth. People like us. People who have yet to hear even still. But he, he had a plan for doing that. And he says, here the apostles are, are the ones who initiate that, who establish that. He says, we are God's ambassadors. We are his, his mouthpieces. We are his spokespersons. And so we, we are telling you, we, we are coming to you. We're, God is making his appeal to you. He is, he is working on you, persuading you, calling to you through us. The reason why he has to say this to the Corinthians is because the Corinthians, because they looked on the external, because they judged according to worldly standards, they looked at Paul and said, this guy's not worth listening to. Listen, we've, we, we, we started off with Paul. It was nice that Paul came and shared the gospel with us. But now we have, we have some more kind of more like rock star preachers who are much more, uh, much more uh, appealing to us. And so uh, Paul is coming to them and saying, you are judging according to worldly standards. And if you, judge, if you judge us according to worldly standards, if you judge Christ according to worldly standards, if you look at the world in a fleshly, worldly way, you have to be reconciled to God. You have to be called back. You're, you're in danger of, of rejecting the apostles, which means that you are in danger of rejecting the gospel. Well, he goes on in, in verse 21, even as we looked at last week, but... Uh, doesn't doesn't hurt to rehearse this verse uh, the one who had no sin Jesus Christ knew no sin he was without the corruption of sin 
from his birth. He was without the, the taint of sin. He was without the, the pollution of sin in his, in his body or his mind or his will or his affections. Instead, from, from birth, from his, from his coming into the world, he lived in a perfectly sinless way. He never spoke wrongly. He never thought wrongly. He never acted wrongly. And yet he was the one who was made to bear our sin. Even the way we read about today in Exodus 28, the the priest bearing on his shoulders, bearing the judgment of the people. Well, Jesus Christ was made to bear our sin. He was made sin for us in our place, taking our penalty, dying the death that we deserve so that we might become the righteousness of God. Think, think about that. that. That just dawned on me while I was, uh, didn't dawn on me last week, dawned on me this week. The sinlessness of Jesus Christ equals the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God is counted for us who believe in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And so he says, if you're thinking of a, if you're listening to another kind of gospel, if you're even thinking of it, there's even a way that is inconsistent, that is so inconsistent with the, with the content of the gospel. There's a way of preaching it that is so different. There's a way of living it that is so, that is so contrary to the actual content of the gospel that it, it, it implodes the gospel. It makes the gospel irrelevant. People can't even see the reality of the gospel because it is so veiled, it is so, it is so uh, superficially, has this superficiality imposed over it that people can't even see what it looks like. That's why Paul keeps making a point about this is the way I do it, this is the way I do it, because there's a way of preaching a crucified Savior that fits with the crucifixion of the Savior, And there is a way of preaching the crucifixion of a Savior that looks more like showtime gospel. That evacuates the gospel of its power. When he preaches that. And then in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, he goes back to what he was saying in verse 20. And he says, working together with him then. Remember, he's, he's an ambassador, he's an envoy, he's a, he's a, he's a delegate, he's, a, he's somebody who goes, he is, he is speaking for God. He is speaking for Jesus Christ. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. That is, don't turn your back on the gospel. You are, you are, you are on the precipice of unbelief. Now then, the, the background of this that we should understand is as, as we proclaim, and as, as you look, just read Paul's letters all the way through. You're going to see very clearly that the calling of God is unstoppable and unbreakable. When God calls someone, he effectively calls them and keeps them and holds them, and they cannot be lost. That's the background in eternity past. That is, that is breaking into forevermore. That those who trust in Jesus Christ with a genuine faith, that their faith will endure. At the same time, there is the reality. Almost every book of the Bible talks about this. Whether you're looking at the, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke and their, their parable of the soils. Or you're looking at where, where there are some soils who make an, uh, an initial reaction to the gospel that is positive, And yet time and difficulty... Reveal that there was no reality there in, in what they were professing. Or you look at some place like John where in the book of John there are some who are believers. 
but they're superficial believers, and as soon as it becomes difficult, as soon as Jesus even talk, talk, starts talking about difficult things, they walk away. Think of John 6, the way that they are, are not ready to hear Jesus. Or you look at people in the, some people in the book of Acts who, who make a response, uh, and yet because of their love of money, they fall away. It was not genuine. Uh, or you think about Second Peter, those who, who apparently are bought by Christ, and yet they are denying him as their master. That's just the, the, the reality is simple, is that not everybody who claims to, to follow Christ, who professes Christ, genuinely trusts in Christ. And so that's a reality that's in the Bible. That's a reality that we, we are going to see in the, in the world. Now then, that's just the background, though. Paul is saying to them, do not receive the grace of God in vain. That is, he's warning them. What you, with the, the place that you are at, you are right on the very verge of losing the grace that, was, that you apparently received. You are, on the, you are on the verge of rejecting the gospel. What do we think about warnings? Listen, does anybody think that God's promises don't work because people hear them and believe them? God makes promises. Anybody think that God's promises don't come true? Well, well, of course. I hope not. I hope you all believe that God's promises come true. That That when God speaks promises into people's life, that for those who are his people, for those who are, have genuine faith, they're going to they're gonna have a response to, the, to God's promises being spoken to them. It's the same thing with God's warnings. Both the promises of God and the warnings of God are both God's word. And what, does, what do the warnings of God, what, what kind of effect do they have in those who have real faith? If a person has real genuine faith, do you know what they do when somebody says to them, you know, you're on the verge? They step back. That's what happens in a born-again heart. That's what happens in a person who is a new creation. They hear, you're on the verge of rejecting the gospel, and they take that very seriously. You're, you're, you're turning away from God. And I think that just tells us that, that it is perfectly legitimate for us to say to a person who is continuing in sin, who is habitually, continually uh, going off into sin, making foolish decisions, it is legitimate for us to say to them, brother, and I still think of you as a brother, but if you don't turn back from the way that you're living, you're going to go to hell. It, it, the, the gospel might have come to you in vain, and I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter maybe what your initial reaction to it was. You might have initially reacted to it with joy and zeal, but genuine true faith is an enduring faith. It's not just, a, not just something that springs up from the ground really quick and then dies when the sun comes out. It's something that endures, something that goes on. And you know, I think the flip side of that can also be encouraging for us. You ever, you ever get next to somebody, and I, I sometimes, I, I feel this way sometimes. I'm around somebody who maybe has just come to faith. The, the faith for them is very fresh, or, or maybe, maybe truths that I've known for a long time and maybe even take for granted that, that, that it becomes very fresh in their mind. Man, they're excited, and I just feel like, man, I wish I was excited as them. Uh, that can kind of, I know you're not supposed to compare, but we all do. And so, so I kind of feel like, man, I, maybe, I'm, maybe, I'm not, maybe I'm not right. But I think that for in your life, the more you endure, the more assurance you can gain from that. 
You go through difficult times still believing in Jesus Christ, you have greater confidence that when still more difficult times come, you're going to keep on believing in Jesus Christ. So don't, don't let that just, when we talk about warnings, warnings are good. We want God to tell us when we're close to losing the gospel. When he says, he says then, do not receive the, the grace of God in vain because he says, he says, God says, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. That is from Isaiah 49. And the whole back half of Isaiah is, is pointing forward. It's pointing, it's pointing to this time when God is going to make a something new happen. It's a new exodus uh, other, from other prophets, we can talk about a new covenant, a new David, new, new, news coming. S- Spirit's going to come. Spirit's going to be here. Look, look ahead, look ahead. We're going, the, the people of Israel, they are going in exile. That's not, that, that, is, that is a certainty at this point. But look beyond the exile. Look, there's going to be something new. New David, new covenant, new law in your heart. The Spirit of God working in you. So he's pointing to Jesus Christ. He's pointing to Christ who would give the Spirit of God to his people who trusted in him. He would give the gift of the Spirit. He would pour out the Spirit on his people. Which makes it, which makes what he says after that so incredible. He says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you, do you, he, he's saying, oh, read, read Isaiah. Isaiah was talking about this time of, of new, Spirit of God. He's talking about the gospel going out to all nations, people who are far from God. The Corinthians, the Hamonians, or whatever we are. You know, the, the people who live here, Tangible Parish. The, the gospel is going to come to us. The gospel is going to come to us. It's going to come to the people who've never heard, the people who are far from God. Now's that time. Listen, you Corinthians, you're, you're Gentiles. You, you didn't know God. You didn't know God. You were a stranger. You were alienated from God. Now the gospel has come to you. How can, how can you, now, now that the gospel has come to you, now that you are living in the time that Isaiah was talking about, now that you're living in that day, how could you now be pulling back from the gospel that I preached to you? How can you pull back from me, Paul, the apostle who preached to you? Don't pull back. Don't pull back from me. Listen to me. Because now is the time of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. As long as it is called today, turn to God. Hold on to the gospel. Don't let go. Listen, and, and, and he's talking about a Christian life that is, that, is, that is often filled with difficulties. It is not easy being a Christian. It is not easy staying a Christian. But he's saying Already, the Spirit has been given to God's people. So don't, it's not going to be very long before Jesus Christ comes. Don't turn back now. The gospel has come to you. And so, so we hold on to the gospel. We don't tinker with it. We don't mask it. We don't put some kind of superficial decoration over it. We want to hold to it. Don't give up on this gospel. Don't give up on 2 Corinthians 5.21. To say, he who knew no sin became sin in your place. You're going to have to talk about somebody who was crucified. Who was despised. But he was despised for our sin. 
he bore our death. When he died, we who have faith in him, we died with him. When he rose from the dead, we who have faith in him, we rose with him. And even as he, he was raised, we will be raised. So don't give up on this gospel. Now is not the time to, to stop listening to Paul. Now is not the time to quit listening to God's word. Now is the time to hold to it more than ever. Well, again, he's giving these reasons for, for why, why you should listen to Paul. Why not listen to these super apostles? Why not listen to these false apostles? Why not listen to them? He says, because of the time. Next, he says, because of our lives. Look in verse 3. Pick up reading in verse 3. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Look at what Paul says there at the beginning in verse 3. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. I don't think that everybody in Corinth would necessarily agree with that. Because think about their, think about the way that they are approaching him. They're, they're saying, hey, you know, look, look, Paul, there are some people who are not responding to your gospel positively. What's Paul's answer to that? He says, if it, is, if it is not being received positive, if people are not believing, it is only those who are perishing who are not believing. It's because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. It's because it's veiled to them. Over and over again in the first, first four chapters, he's talked about how the reason why not everyone is believing is because they don't see. If they saw, they would believe, but they don't see. I don't, think, I don't think most of us realize it, but Jesus' disciples had the very same problem with him. Look, we're, we're preaching, and yeah, we see tax collectors and sinners coming to believe, but there are a lot of people who don't believe or don't believe for very long. That's when Jesus starts to talk about, about the four soils. That's when he begins to talk. That, that, that is an explanation to his, to his disciples. Hey, it's not a problem with the seed. It's a problem with the soils. That's what Paul is saying. If, if people are not following, now they, they can look at him. And they say, hey, Paul, you know, you're, you're, too much of a, you're too much of a truth speaker. You know, couldn't you, couldn't you tone it down a little bit? Or, or Paul, look at, look at the way that you suffer. I mean, you just come in. You, you, probably, you probably bear the marks of being on the road and, and being beaten and being in prison. Now, you bear it in your clothes. You probably bear it in your body. I'm sure a lot of people looked at Paul and said, hey, you're, you, you, those are obstacles. People can't believe because of you. They could even point to his speaking style. Evidently, he was not as impressive as some others. He was not as polished or did not make the same, did not make the same effort to be, to be eloquent and, and pleasing to the people they were speaking to. 
Paul, you're setting up obstacles. Paul says, those are not the obstacles. Those are not the obstacles to people believing. Plain churches having plain church meetings with plain preaching of the gospel, that's not the obstacle. That's not the obstacle. The obstacle to people believing the gospel is the bondage of sin. And the only way that the bondage of sin is broken is by the preaching of the gospel in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God works through the preaching of God's Word. That breaks the bondage. That makes the lights come on. That takes the veil away. That makes it where people see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, let's... let's be sure that we do not erect any obstacles that are the, the result of our own uh, self-serving ideas, that we would, that we would care, about, care about things that are superficial, but instead help us to make sure that we put no obstacle. Well, let's just say, when we preach the gospel and love one another, we're not putting any obstacles in people's way. It's not the obstacles of our plain speech. It's not the obstacles of our, even when we think about what the church holds to as far as a moral standard. It's not our strict adherence to holiness that is keeping people from coming to Jesus Christ. It's not our moral standard. It's not our plain speaking of the truth. It's the bondage of sin. And so we want to preach the gospel that breaks the power of sin. Well, Paul goes on from there. He says, he talks about the things that commend him. And this is, this is his resume. So we kinda, I kind of looked at the beginning about what, what would the job description be of the Corinthians. Well, Paul says, hey, here's your, here's your job description. Here's what I think your job description. Okay, all right. So, so get, I, I'm, not, I'm not going by your job description. Here are the things that commend me as an apostle. First, there are, there are nine things with great endurance at the top. So think of great endurance as kind of the heading. And then he picks up in verse 4. He says, by great endurance, there are three. Uh, there are three in afflictions, hardships, calamities. These are all basically synonyms for, for, especially for the inward distress that he felt. You know, Paul agonized over his work. He was deeply concerned with the churches that he was ministering to. He was always... Uh, facing these, these outward obstacles, but that was really, that's not at the head of the list. What is at the head of the list are these inward distresses, these, these difficulties, these, these hurts in his, in his inner being. Like, like his heart is sick over these churches and over the, the things that he's seeing. Even think about when he goes and he sees the unbelieving, he goes into Athens and he looks around and he is deeply troubled by what he sees, by the idolatry that is all around him. And he, that, that's what commends him. That's what puts him forward. That, that is his ministerial resume. And then he goes to those things that are actually the, the physical parts of it. He says beatings, imprisonments, and riots. Paul got beat. Not, not once, multiple times. He got beat by the civil authorities. He got beat by mobs that drug him out of the city and left him for dead. He was in prison. He was in prison, treated like a, a, 
just some Roman slave, a plebeian who was just thrown into a prison and left to rot. And he was imprisoned like a Roman citizen, but he was imprisoned in multiple different ways in multiple different places. He faced riots, people waiting for him that if they could get him out into the crowd, they would just rip him apart. They would stone him to death. If the, if the civil authorities weren't going to kill him, they'd kill him themselves. That's the, that's the kind of thing. That is the kind of thing that Paul is enduring. He's pressing on through that. He, then he goes to, to three more. He talks about his labors. Probably the fact, not only is he laboring and preaching and teaching, which uh, when he's doing that all day, at one point he is doing it for, for in the middle of the afternoon, he's doing it all day. He rents out a place, his own expense, teaching people all afternoon long. But it's not only that he is laboring in the preaching and teaching the gospel. He's laboring at making tents. He's, he's paying his way. The idea is that he's working both the day shift and the night shift. That kind of carries into where he talks about sleepless nights. I don't think he's sleepless from, from anxiety. I think he's sleepless because he's working. He's, both work, he's, he's preaching during the day in the, in the marketplace. He's building, making tents at night. Or he is... He is uh, preaching in the synagogues on Saturday, and then he is working the rest of the week. He's, he, he, he doesn't even have time for sleep or hunger. We know that in Jesus' ministry, he was so devoted at times uh, to preaching and teaching that he went without eating. People were just sitting around waiting for him to teach, and he would, rather than go get something to eat and come back and teach, he would just keep on teaching. Paul's going through the same thing. Or, or perhaps there's just times when Paul doesn't have enough to eat. Paul says, I endure. I endure. Or the great marks of genuine faith and genuine ministry is endurance. Sticking to it day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. When we think about, when we think about Paul and his ministry, think about those who endure. When we think about those that we look up to, those that, those that we, 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 when we go to church together, we look at other people in the congregation, maybe people who are, who are ahead of us, maybe people who are older than us, or maybe people who are just, just uh, more mature than us. We look at them and we say, that's who I want to be. Well, you look for people who endure. Not just, not just how, how, much, uh, how much this guy talks, but how much has he kept on going faithfully in, in, in the gospel, in, in the faith, growing year after year decade after decade so endurance then he moves to this next uh, group of four he says by purity this is verse six by purity knowledge patience kindness paul is paul is pure paul is sexually pure he is pure in mind and heart we have we have not acted uh, he's not acted wrongly toward anyone he's not gone into any town he he has not dealt with the way that a lot of people deal with, with problems when they face all kinds of difficulties in their lives, how do they deal with it? They often deal with it by turning to impurity, kind of, kind of superficially takes care of their, their, their uh, hurts for a little while until it resurfaces, only worse. Paul says, we minister with purity, with, with knowledge. So Paul emphasized I know things that I can teach you. Okay, I'm not. I'm not gonna. Not gonna entertain you. I'm not gonna make it. Not, not gonna make it look good. Maybe the way you want it to look. But 
I, I know, I have knowledge. He says patience. Think about the way that he deals with so many of these churches, these, many of these churches. He has, he has endured these things to get the gospel to them, and then they are sort of wishy-washy back toward him. They're kind of they're apathetic toward Paul. They don't know if they really like him or not. But, but he, just keeps, he just keeps teaching them, keeps writing them letters, keeps showing up in their town. Just continual patience and kindness. Not, not going beyond just simply tolerating those who are against him, but actively being kind toward them, caring toward them. Paul was virtuous. Make every effort to add to your faith virtue. Second Peter. You know, Paul, Paul is saying, this is what commends us. This is why you should listen to us. We're virtuous. There's another grouping of four after that. He says, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God. The Holy Spirit and the power of God are, are like bookends. So it is the power of God that comes through the Holy Spirit. They are like these bookends around the other two. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is producing something in him. The Holy Spirit is working great power in him. But what, is, what does the power of the Holy Spirit look like in Paul? It looks like genuine love. And the whole statement of genuine love implies that there is an, is, is an insincere love. There is flattery. There are people who will do, tell you what you want to hear and make you feel loved. Make you feel like you are in love. They are like little spiritual Don Juans who come in and, and, and get your affections, tell you what you want to hear, get you to, think the, get you to think that they really care about you. And they never say anything hard to you. They never speak the truth to you. They, they, they hide parts of the truth that, that are they're difficult to understand or difficult to, 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 to get. That's not, that's not genuine love. Paul says genuine love. Holy Spirit in us produced genuine love and truthful speech. We spoke the truth to you. Spoke the truth to you. Corinthians, I've written letters to you and letters that I wrote to you. Sometimes you didn't like what you heard. I spoke the truth to you. It goes on from there. Um, we see at the end of verse 7. There are, there are three phrases here that all start with the same, all start with the same uh, word, at least in the original language, a little, little uh, covered up a little bit in the, in the English. But he says, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. That's the idea of these are, these are righteous weapons of, of good. These are the, 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 uh, the weapons that God, God told us to use. And so these are the weapons of, of speaking the truth, the weapons, uh, even the way we might think of, of all Christians being armed with, with salvation and the, 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 the gospel that, that makes, makes us ready and the gospel of peace and, and, and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, these kinds of things. But he says we, had, we were fully armed, left hand, right hand. Uh, possibly that even, that even uh, alludes to the fact that he is both offensive, he's both out there proclaiming the gospel, and he is also defensive. He's got the sword and he's got the shield. He's both defending the gospel and he is contending for the gospel. Then he has these ideas of, of through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. I think this is what he means when he talks to, to Timothy later on, in season and out of season. You know, people, sometimes people are going to praise you, sometimes people are going to appreciate you, and sometimes they're not. 
we kept going. We were genuine. We were consistent. We kept preaching the gospel. Whether people honored us or slandered us, didn't matter. Then there is this final, final list here of, of these sort of antitheses or, or paradoxes in, in his ministry. We are treated as imposters. People didn't really believe that Paul was an apostle. And yet our truth, God really called us. As unknown, Paul somebody, we, we don't know who you are. Goes into Athens. You know, here's this strange guy teaching strange Jewish ideas from some strange sect. Where's this guy come from? Maybe, maybe not only, not, not merely unknown, but when people saw Paul, he wasn't really a guy that you would want to get to know. As unknown yet, and yet well-known, God knows Paul. One of the things that stands out from the first, uh, first several chapters of 2 Corinthians is that Paul's confidence is, my conscience is clear, God knows what I'm doing. You may make false accusations against me. You may slander me. God knows me. I'm doing his will. So he says, uh, and behold, uh, as dying, and, and behold, we live. Paul was like a walking, dying man. Looked like somebody who was about to, any time now, you thought that Paul was going to die. And yet God was continually delivering him as punished and yet not killed. It's like you, you could keep beating Paul and yet you couldn't get rid of him. You couldn't, couldn't, couldn't make him go away. As sorrowful, anybody who looked at Paul's life and, and judged it by worldly standards, you think that guy lives the most miserable existence you could possibly have on the face of the earth. And Paul says, we are rejoicing. Even alluding to, I think, what Jesus says in, in Matthew 5 about rejoice when, uh, when, the, when people persecute you and revile you and utter all kinds of things against you falsely on my account, on the account of Jesus Christ. As poor, yet making many rich. Paul was impoverished, and yet he is bringing people into the riches of God's kingdom by preaching the gospel to them. He's bringing them into eternal life as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Just walking through the world like Jesus Christ, not even having, not even having a, a pillow to put his head on, not having a, a place to sleep that was his own. And yet he had everything. He had the inheritance that God gives. So I, I want to work through thinking about this in, in levels, in layers. Start with just a layer of Paul. Why, why listen to Paul? Paul was a persecutor of the church. Pharisee in most churches, that's a bad word. Paul was a Pharisee, a persecutor of God's people. One who imprisoned, one who sat there and approved, sort of gave his judgment on the execution by a mob of Stephen. Why listen to Paul? Why listen to Paul? He didn't walk with Jesus for three years. Why listen to Paul? Why listen to the gospel that Paul preaches? Why hold to this gospel so tightly and never give up? Because Jesus Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and appointed him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he has, he has endured all these things. The look at Paul's life. The power of God through the Holy Spirit is working in him and driving him from city to city. He's, he's going through the mountains. He's, he's uh, 
being shipwrecked. He's being mobbed. He's being beaten. He's being in prison. What keeps driving this man along? If there's no proof that Paul was an apostle, it's the very fact that he kept on going. He kept on enduring. And he was a model of righteousness, a model of purity. Being so patient with these people, he, he acts with them like a father. He acts with them like a mother. He, is, he, he thinks of the churches like his very own children. He's ready to lay down his life for them. He, he bears in himself all kinds, of, all kinds of slander, things that he knows aren't true. Oftentimes, how many of us, are, aren't, we, aren't we tempted that when we are slandered, when we are hated by someone, we just say, they can take care of themselves then. Let them, let them go their own way. Paul keeps coming back to these people. Paul could have said, let the Corinthians go to hell if they want to go to hell. Paul kept coming back to them. He endured their slander. He endured a life that looked like death to the world. And yet he rejoiced. He had everything. We listen to Paul and we hold to the gospel that Paul preached. The gospel that Jesus Christ died in our place. He died taking our sin upon himself so that our transgressions, our sins would not be counted against us. Instead, they were counted against Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ paid for them. That penalty is taken for us. And then the righteousness of Christ is counted for us so that we are accepted by God. That's the gospel that Paul preached, and we accept it. Now then, another layer is, who do we listen to? There's a surprisingly large amount of material in the New Testament about these are the kind of people that you listen to, and these are the kind of people that you don't listen to. And the way John says it in 1 John 4, there are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. How do you, how do you know which ones to listen to? Be careful who you listen to. It's people who, though, though Christ is unique, and Paul is unique. They had unique roles, and yet we all know that we are to follow the example of Jesus Christ, and we're also to follow the example of the apostles. And so in some small way, in a pale way, I think any, anybody who ministers the gospel has to say, I'm not Paul. I'm not Paul. I'm not John. I'm not Peter. Not those guys. Very very big big distinction between the apostles and the, the pastors and preachers and teachers who preach what the apostles taught. And yet there should, should be some semblance of endurance and virtue and love and truth speaking in those that we listen to. Just be careful. There are many false prophets who have gone, gone out into the world and they dress up what they say in a way that is very appealing that bears all the marks of worldly wisdom. Be careful about listening to them. Instead, listen for the truth. Listen to people whose lives look like this. And I think the third layer is just simply that the reason why Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about this is the way that I live is because, again, Paul's an extreme example, but all Christians are going to live something like this. All Christians ought to be commending the gospel by their endurance, by their virtue, by their love, by their truth speaking. Paul's saying, this is the way I do it. 
This is the why you ought to listen to me. Look at the way that I do it. And then he says, 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I follow Jesus Christ. That's after he's just talked about how he makes himself a slave and gives up his rights for, for the good of others. Paul's been giving up his rights, the very, the very mark of what it looks like to be a genuine Christian following Jesus Christ is to give up your rights, endure, live virtuously, love, speak the truth. And so that's why, that's why, that's why we should live the, this way. Let's live this way. Let's, let's be reconciled to God. Let's listen to Paul and let's live like Paul. Let's endure whatever we have to endure. This is the time of salvation, so we endure whatever comes our way. So, Because there's just a little while. There's just a little while before it's all done, before Jesus Christ returns. So let's keep enduring. Let's keep being patient and kind. Let's keep being loving, genuine love and truth speaking. Let's live that way. When he goes on, just, just a, a final appeal that he has. He says, because of our love, verses 11 through 13. He says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. It's kind of a play on, on words there in verse 11. Literally it is, we have opened our mouth to you, and now our hearts are wide open to you. We, we've tried to talk to you. We've tried to talk to you. We've talked about our love. We've talked about what we do. We have, we have spoken to you. Our hearts, our affections are wide open to you, Corinthians. How, how could you reject us? How could you reject me? You are not restricted by us. They're, they're saying, Paul, the reason why we're upset with you is because of you. And Paul says, look at, look at what I have done. Look at my ministry. Listen, I... Uh, later on, he's going to say, hey, I got I to gotta talk about this stuff. I, gotta, I don't like to boast, but now I got to talk like a madman. I got to talk like a fool. I, I got I to talk about, about w what kind of ministry I have, not for my own sake, not because I, not because I hate being slandered, but because if you don't stop, start listening to me again, you're going to be lost. He says, it's not because of us that your affections are restricted. It's not because of us that you don't love us the way that you ought to, that you don't feel toward us the way you ought to. It's not because of us. You are restricting yourselves. You are turning away from us. In return, I speak to you as children. I speak to you as a father. I speak to you as one who, who raised you up from the beginning. I'm, I speak to you as one who taught you. I speak to you as one who loves you. I speak to you one who, who is ready to speak the truth to you in love, but, but who, who desperately wants to gather you again, who wants to bring you into my arms again. Open your hearts wide to us also. I think we have to think that that, be so careful. Not we need to stop being skeptical of everyone who tells us something that we don't want to hear. Somebody tells us something that we don't want to hear. Sometimes they do that because they love us. They love us. Fathers tell their children what they don't want to hear because they love their children. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
You know, anybody can sit there and tell you what you want to hear. Lots of people can scratch your back so that you will scratch their back too. Lots of people will flatter you. The fool, the unrighteous, they will flatter you. A father loves you. He forgives you. But he does not flatter you. He speaks the truth to you. So let us listen. Let us listen to pastors and teachers. Let's also listen to brothers and sisters and friends in the church who, who know us. I, I, I don't know every one of you as much as I, I would like. But you ought to be known by somebody. You ought to have a friend. You ought to be known by brothers and sisters so that they say to you, brother, you're on the verge or, or you're going the wrong way or, or they're, ready to, they're ready to correct you. They're ready to tell you the truth. They're, they're coming to you in affection. Don't, do not be restricted in your own affections toward them. O- widen your heart. Open wide your hearts to them. That, that almost says, hey, please tell me how I can become more like Jesus Christ. It's not a bad thing to say. And if anybody has shown love toward us, how much more has God demonstrated his love for us? You know, what, what Paul is talking about here, the love that is coming, the love and the truth that comes through Paul, it is an expression and an extension of the love and truth of God. What more could God do to demonstrate his love for you than send his own son to the cross for your sin? You go through difficulty and you start to doubt God's love? How can you doubt God's love when he sent his own son to die for you? You, you, become, you become enticed and tempted to go, to go after worldly things, to have your, to have your faith uh, undercut, have the thorns of, of the world choke out the life of your faith. How can you love those things when God has loved you in his son, Jesus Christ? Jesus, Jesus Christ is the revelation of God. He is God opening up his mouth and saying, this is the truth. Jesus Christ is the love of God. He is the one who came and expressed God's love by dying on the cross for our sins. So if God has opened up his mouth and opened up his heart and revealed his affection for his people, for all of those who would turn from their sins and trust in him, open up your hearts. Let us open up our hearts to God. Do not be restricted. We think we, we are so quick to accuse God of being the one who, I can't believe in God, or I can't, I can't trust God in this, or I can't, I can't believe that God would be this way. How can, you, how can you be suspicious of God's love? How can you be suspicious of God's wisdom? How can you be suspicious of God's truthfulness? Open your heart to God. Trust Him. Love Him. Let us be reconciled to God. Let's listen to God as he speaks to us through his word, through his apostles. Let us hear both the truth and the love of God. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we confess the restrictedness in our affections, that our affections are not heightened to the degree that they ought to be toward you. You are an infinitely good and perfect and holy God. You are 
beautiful to us. You are perfect in all your ways. You have demonstrated your love for us in Christ, and yet we are still restricted. Please, God, by your spirit, we thank you so much that, that your spirit is already loosening the restrictions on our affections that ought not to be there. Please continue to, to loosen our hearts, loosen our mouths so that we would, we, would, we would love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Please forgive us for our failures. Please forgive us for our suspicions and our skepticism. Help us to no longer doubt but to believe and to know that you love, that you are truth and you are love. And you are the one that we want more than all else. It is in you, it is in Christ that we possess all things. Help us to believe and to know that you are our reward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.